Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. Before we jump in, though, I'm always keen to hear from our listeners, and you can get in touch with me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. Right, let's get into it. This is the third of four episodes in a mini-series which talks about innovation in local news. Increasingly, we're hearing that the US is a great source of inspiration for UK newsrooms when it comes to news gathering processes, revenue models, audience engagement, and so on. In each episode, I will speak to US local newsrooms about something smart or experimental that they are doing in an effort to transfer lessons and learnings across anywhere. Today, we're talking about SMS, short messaging service, or more frequently known as texting. There's a company in the US called Subtext, which enables journalists and newsrooms to send texts back and forth with their audience. I'm joined by two really interesting case studies for Subtext. One is San Francisco Chronicle, and we'll be talking to Jess Shaw, the newsroom director of audience, about how they are using text alerts to keep audiences in the loop with the wildfire season they have been experiencing lately. We'll also hear from Lexis Olivier Ray, a housing, justice and culture reporter for LA Taco, a community-level news organisation based in the heart of Los Angeles. He's talking to us about how texting is the perfect medium to reach the homeless or unhoused community with vital health information. So whether you want to do this on a newsroom or individual reporter level, we'll find out what works and what doesn't, and what you need to know about trying it out for yourself. All that's to come after this. Just a quick one, our Digital Journalism Conference News Rewired is back for four days of expert panels and workshops to help your newsroom grow your audience and create new revenue. We've been hard at work booking lots of exciting speakers and those talks start from the 19th of October. Don't miss out, you can book your ticket on newsrewired.com and we'll see you there. Let's start with San Francisco Chronicle, a news organisation founded way back in 1865. It covers primarily the San Francisco Bay Area of Northern California. California experiences a wildfire season between July and November when hot, dry winds are most frequent. It's a major beat for the Chronicle at this time of year, and it's something they know readers will care about. In an experimental move for the newsroom, in July of this year, they set up a text message alert service via subtext so readers could get wildfire news and information. The newsroom director of audience, Jess Shaw, joins me first on the show, and thanks so much for coming on. First things first, as we do every week, can you give our listeners a snapshot of your work setup? Well, we're still all remote here in in San Francisco, and I start the day pretty early around 5 a.m., 6 a.m. or so, and check in with our early breaking news editor. Um, Our working situation is that we are all still remote, as I said, and so a lot of communication online throughout the day, um, a lot of organizing um, what we're covering that day, what the, you know, really important stories um, that we are going to want to push really hard are. I'm sort of constantly in touch with my reporting and editing team who do breaking news, trending news, engagement, journalism, as well as the producer team that's taking all of our journalism and pushing it across all of the platforms um, that we need to get it to. Cool. How are you finding the remote working situation? 
I think most people miss the newsroom a little bit, but of course in the San Francisco Bay Area, I think a lot of people don't miss traffic or uh, commutes. So it's a real mix. Of course, we have all of our reporters and photographers are, are kind of out in the field doing the stuff they would normally be doing. Um, our newsroom just got remodeled. So it is fancy and sparkly clean now and people are looking forward to going back, but of course also wanting it to be safe and wanting for all of their colleagues to feel safe. And um, so I think that we're not quite, we're not really close to being fully back yet, but people are starting to, to think about that um, transition. Any idea when you might be able to see the new sparkly office? I actually was thinking that this week I might go down and, and see it just because I do want to see it. Um, but, but we had been thinking originally that September would be when we would be welcoming people back into a hybrid, um, you know, work situation. I think that with the Delta variant, that's probably going to get pushed around a little bit. Um, so that's where we are. In the, in the context of what we'll speak about today, how are things in California with the, with the wildfires? What's the situation? Uh, as was expected, it's been yet another historic wildfire season. The season started extraordinarily early this year. Uh, we just published a series of stories this week talking about how the fires are moving faster, um, growing bigger and going higher to higher elevations than they ever really have in the past. This week, the uh, news, of course, is that um, much all of South Lake Tahoe has had to evacuate. The fire is getting very close to some pretty populated areas there, the, the Calder fire. If it does reach into the populated core of the Tahoe Basin, that is huge news for all of California. The way it works is that the SMS channel is basically an additional perk for subscribers of the San Francisco Chronicle website. It's bundled in to get more bang for their bucks. They receive a code upon subscribing, punch in their number, and away they go. They start receiving texts from the newsroom. They can also give a more precise location where they live to get more specific detailed information. This is an experiment to see how SMS can help retain subscribers and develop an ongoing relationship just through having more touch points with their audience. But experiments also need to be contained. So currently, there's less than 1,000 subscribers at this point in time, but this is on purpose as a way to stay on top of audience feedback, preferences towards volume and style, and so the team does not get drowned in the data. It's worth saying that this interview took place at the start of September, and Jess told me that if a major wildfire was to break out, they would really start to advertise the channel and crank up the numbers. We've been very delicate with our promotional pushes thus far. I think we've sent out two push notifications to our app audience, which is one of our most core platforms, most loyal readers there. Um, and we've mentioned it here or there, but we really haven't done some of the bigger promotional pushes that would get a lot of people on, for instance, um, including it in a breaking news alert or sending out an email to, to sort of our biggest email list, which I think we would do as soon as we got a, got a sense that that there was a fire that um, warranted that level of response. So it's still very, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the size it is right now because it feels still small enough where I can be treating it like a, a, an experimental platform um, and, and not worrying about it um, getting too big for us to manage. You know, we expect September and October to be, that has tradition, that has historically been when fire season is the worst for the Bay Area. When we see the worst local impacts, that's when the, the, some of the biggest fires have broken out here in the past years. 
if the Calgary Fire reaches Lake Tahoe today, we will probably activate those promotional pushes that I just talked about. We will, that's hugely important, again, as I said, to all of California and to our readers, um, uh, or to a very good portion of California. So do, do they just get breaking news alerts or what else do they get from, um, straight to their phones? Um, it's been a little mix so far. And honestly, again, kind of all experimental from, from our side. At the outset, when there were there were fires, but not, um, you know, not so close to the Bay Area or, or so close to something that a lot of people would, would that would resonate for a lot of people, we sent out some text messages just asking questions, you know, just asking, what are your questions? What do you want to know? We got some responses back about funding. People wanted to know how the state was funded to fight fires. People wanted to know um, about air purifiers and how they should be preparing. So we responded to those with a few text messages about that. We had just done you know, some coverage on both of those areas. And so I tried to sum up um, the findings in, into the texts and when necessary, point them to more information on our site. Um, since then, I think the fires have really started, both the Dixie and the Calder have really um, become huge fires that have started to affect populated areas. We, it has been more breaking news telling them, you know, here, here's what happened today and, and, and trying to do so in a way that's not every single step of the way, but here's, here's something that happened that's important. And occasionally saying, you also might want to check out our fire map today, or you might want to check out our, our live updates coverage. Right, right. So it's, it's good for that two-way dialogue as, as well, not just about like pumping out what, what stories are running, what's happening. What, what happens if readers ask something that you, that you don't have the answers for? It's a good question. Honestly, with the funding question, we had we had just done some coverage on it. But as I was trying to write the, the text message, some questions came up. And so I talked to our politics editor and he talked to the reporters to, to get clarity. Um, so so I think we want for this to be a platform where as questions come up, if people have specific questions that can actually point toward coverage, it can perhaps, you know, set us off on an explainer or some um, other, you know, utility articles that that tell people um, how to do something or what to do. It's like this little, um, you know, microcosm that I would assume if these people have these questions, everybody has these questions. So if everybody's wondering about funding, then probably lots of people are. And so maybe we want to do another social push on some of the stories we've done. Maybe we want to you know, do a push alert to our app folks. Maybe we want to recirculate on the homepage. Makes sense. Makes sense. As as something which is kind of complementary to an existing subscription, what defines success here with the text messaging strategy? What tells you if this is working and something audiences genu- genuinely want? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that I think is so important to ask at the outset when you go into something like this. So for us right now, there's there's two metrics that are not quite metrics, I suppose. One is just experimentation. We want to make sure we understand this platform and, and figuring out how readers respond to it, particularly our core readers. The second question that's harder to answer is, is this a useful means of retention? Of Is this a, a benefit that people really find deep value in that they'd be willing to pay for um, that uh, that that we can use as a way to just you know create more loyal relationships with with our readers so I think from that standpoint how we measure it over over the short term and longer term is is a question that's still in my mind but I think that's how I would define success is is simply one understanding the platform and then two figuring out the answer to the question of whether this is a critical retention um, 
play or not. Practical question. How kind of resource intensive is it for you to run something like this as a newsroom? Yeah, it's not not resource intensive. I will say that subtext, the platform is, is an extremely um, easy interface to use. It was very easy to set up, which was one of the benefits. You know, we would not have been interested in something that would have taken five months to set up, of course, especially since this is such an experiment for us. Um, but it's it's the question of who is setting the strategy, the amount of time um, to, to set that strategy. The If we do get to a point where we're wanting to send text alerts once a day, if we have a local um, fire breakout, that is going to be a resourcing question that I have to solve. Um, because of course, if that happens, everything will be um, intense. Uh, the, the news cycle will be uh, very intense. We'll have many, many other things pulling our attention in, in different directions. So so I think that is one of the, the difficult questions is how how are we going to resource this, which to be honest, I haven't fully solved yet. But, but does it play into the work they're already doing, right? If they're already going out to get the stories, it's just a case of sending a message when they're out or sending some images back to the, you know, does it add too much extra work for reporters? I think that we we wouldn't be putting this directly in the hands of, of the reporters for, for many reasons, but I do think we'd be connecting it into our live updates coverage. So the the reporter that is perhaps not out in the field, but um, you know, sort of sitting at their computer and watching Twitter and watching all the things that are happening and trying to feed to our live updates, that person could be doing it potentially. Um, there's there's also the you know the editor who's kind of manning that that live updates and and keeping a handle on breaking news potentially that person could do it as well. Um, we also have some folks on our engagement team who are intended to to be specialized on engagement initiatives, and so perhaps one of them could. So I think all of these are are possibilities, and it's just a matter of who's there and how we're going to handle it in the moment. Um, on on that note. Um... How exactly does the workflow work at the moment? What what seems to be the best way of approaching this? For me, it's been kind of having to just keep at the top of my mind, or maybe in the middle of my mind, um, is today is today a text day? And um, yesterday was definitely a text day. Today will definitely be a text day when I want to send one. And then it's waiting for the right moment when we have that sort of one good nugget of information that I know they will want. And then sending the text as soon as as soon as we have that in, and potentially pointing them to more coverage on the site if I feel that people are going to really want that. I'm trying to be very cognizant of not forcing them into a link. You know, this is that's not what this is about. We want for the text to be the the platform where they're in, where they're engaging with things. But of course, sometimes there's a need for for going to the site where there might be an interactive map or you know a whole a whole day's worth of coverage. Right. So so typically, what would you put in a message? Usually it's good morning from the San Francisco Chronicle or good afternoon. And then it's, you know, um, yesterday, I think it was um, the the Calder fire is getting very, very close to, to South Lake Tahoe, 22,000 people or whatever it was, um, have been told to evacuate. It, we have reporters there. Um, we have photos on our site. And if you want to follow all of the latest live updates, then please go here. Um, so I think what I haven't done in a while that I should do and that I probably will do today as part of the message is ask for their questions and concerns. I think it's important to get those prompts in, you know, regularly. When you experiment, the point is to try and see how fertile the ground is, the size of the opportunity and what steps are needed to capitalise on it. The reverse is also true. To dip your toe into something 
new and shiny, and not overly commit to a platform that isn't worth your investment. My question to Jess is, what would it take from this experiment to walk away from it? I think that, I mean, if we had not a lot of interest in, in signups, that would be a pretty good sign. I think bigger picture, you know, I don't know that we'll get to a place where, or not anytime soon, at least, where we would say, oh, we're just not interested in this platform at all. I think that it's very hard to say that about any platform ever. I think the question for us is, it, there's a very clear use case and um way to to pitch, you know, sort of wildfires alerts. I, I know that there are people interested in that. Um, and, and I know that there's clear value that we're providing to people who sign up for their alerts. They're getting information um, that they need, and that's important. But bigger picture, what, what about other channels? How does this platform expand from there? What are the other things that we could do with text? That's where I think um, the really interesting and really tricky questions would come, because um, I think there are a lot of potential use cases that we might think this is a great strategy, this is going to be amazing, and then maybe that's not actually the case. So, so for for the wildfire alerts, I think it's it's going to be just you know how can we make sure to um, reserve resources for this, and how how big do we want to go really, and and monitoring that, and then the really difficult questions I think will come about what other things can you use this platform for besides this sort of you know urgent use case. Let me kind of flip the question a little bit and ask what what hasn't worked so far with the platform? What are the limitations? Well, it's very difficult to cram lots of information into the space that you have in a text message. That is tricky. I think even just the the way that I'm trying to constantly not be pointing them to things on our site is 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 difficult. Um, partially because, of course, we want people to be coming to our site. We want to encourage that at the same time we want to. Um, encourage native engagement on all the various platforms. Resourcing is is always going to be the most difficult thing, not just in terms of paying for the text messages, paying for the service to, to send them, but but the internal resourcing to to have the people who who get this platform and who can you know be writing be writing for it, be thinking about the strategy for it. For for other newsrooms maybe looking at this strategy with your two months of hindsight, what would you say are the you know? What's, what's the must must know information going into a strategy like this, you think? Absolutely the resourcing question. How are you going to staff this? Who's going to do it? What is and the question the very good question that you asked of what's the point, right? what's what's success? How do you how are you defining that? and And related to that, understanding what your bigger picture strategy is, even if it very much is experimentation and you go in with, let's see what we what we figure out. Let's see what happens, which I think is is a good thing to do. You still, I think, have to understand what the potential big picture strategy um, is. So for us, that's, is this an important retention metric? Is this a platform that is going to become really important to more and more people and that we need to understand? But having a, having a sense of what your strategy is going to be coming in, figuring out the resourcing are the things that I would tell people to keep an eye on if they're considering this. Uh, any other big questions you think you'll ask uh, on the after these next few months have passed? I think that the question of um, how do you this this would be for much further down the line if we really prove it out as success for you know a, a retention campaign you know a membership benefit. There's the question of well you know is there an SMS strategy or or channel that shouldn't be just for members that should be 
um, a bigger thing. Um, I think that a lot of, there's been a lot of successful campaigns out there that are host driven. So really personality and voice driven. I think there's a really big question for me about whether that is something that we could, we could do and whether we have people in the newsroom who, who could do that. There's also the, the, the question of whether there are people who would pay for a text message service totally separate from our, from our digital subscription, which I'm not sure we would be able or want to offer, but, but that, that is a big question. What would you say is your top skill that has fared you well in your career? As an audience director, it, it, feels, it feels necessary to say that um, the ability to understand data and analytics, but in a way that really matters for journalism, I think is a skill that has served me well and that I look for in, in people who I might hire. It's understanding data, just, just pure data. It's understanding how to use data, how to, how, to, how, to, how to tell a story with data, but for analytics instead of in your journalism. Are there any particular pitfalls when trying to work out data as a journalist? For your newsroom strategy, I mean to say. Yeah, the data could be wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, I think you want to make sure that I'm not a data scientist. You know, you, you need to make sure to be working with your data scientists, with the people who really understand data, um, to, to, to give you that side of it and, and, and also understand that, that there is a limit sometimes to what data can tell you and that, that instincts are good and, and that there are reasons to do things that might not be backed by the data. Such as what? There are stories that we know might not get the, the audience that another story would, but that we need to write. There are um, coverage commitments or just that the data might not necessarily support or maybe we just aren't looking at the right data and one personal tip on getting better at utilizing data in your newsroom what would it be read your analytics reports uh every day if you can i like to say analytics is like exercise you really have to be doing it frequently and regularly for it to pay off it's it's you have to build up those skills it's not something you can just look at once a month or have your audience person do a deep dive for you once a quarter it's really difficult to to understand data when you're approaching it that way. If you're looking at it every day or maybe once a week, then you start to see patterns, you start to see trends that you wouldn't otherwise. Make sure you do your data cardio then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jess, this was a blast. Thank you so much for your time and insights on the podcast. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you. Next, we turn our attention to LA Taco, set up in 2006. It was originally a blog focused on all things Los Angeles, from car culture and lowriders to graffiti, but a few years back, it transitioned to a local news website after the alt newspaper LA Weekly had a big shake-up and many contributors went and joined LA Taco. It prides itself on its street journalism, which, to them, means being present and visible in communities and neighbourhoods which are not traditionally reflected in the media. Its housing justice and culture reporter Alexis Olivier Ray joins us now to talk about his own subtext channel, which he set up to provide homeless people with vital health updates. He's been doing this since January of this year, and he says it's a great way to connect with a group of people who are not normally checking emails or interacting with other media. But the unhoused community does often have mobile phones to hand, so texting is in fact a great way to reach them. He's got about 80 signups through direct physical interaction with these people, as he has kept the channel private. It's great to have you on the show, Lexis. My first question to all my guests is always this one. What's your work setup like at the moment? I'm actually working remotely this week. 
um, in Connecticut, visiting family and um, working on stories remotely. Uh, first time I've been out of California in a couple of years now and uh, first time visiting family since the whole pandemic. Yeah. So you're, you're on the East Coast, but still reporting on the West Coast, right? Yeah, which is interesting because of the time difference, obviously, um, works to my benefit a little bit in the morning because I don't have to get up as early, obviously, but means that I'm working a little bit later than I'm used to. Nice. So talk to me about LA Taco itself. Picking up on the taco part there, what does that symbolize? Uh, to us, I mean, tacos are really a symbol of Los Angeles, and it's something that I think connects everybody in Los Angeles. Because of the Latino community, you mean? Yeah, that's that's a huge part of it. I mean, um, LA is about 50% Latino. And um, I think everybody enjoys a good taco. Um, it's hard to live in Los Angeles and not not interact with tacos. So um, it's it's kind of the the you know one of the many things that unites everybody in in LA. Right. So uh, how how exactly then as as we move this conversation towards your text messaging strategy, how does that slot in with your beat? So I was reporting on these hygiene stations that the city of Los Angeles rolled out to encampments at the start of the pandemic. Obviously, there was a real concern with, you know, hand washing and hand washing was identified early on as one of the most effective ways to stop the or limit the spread of COVID. Um, so the city rolled out hundreds of these portable sinks and toilets to dozens of encampments. And I started reporting on them actually just because I was going on these long walks and photographing and ended up seeing some of these units being rolled out you know, for the first time. A few months later, I got a grant from USC Center for Health Journalism. And I worked on a project through that fellowship. And then I got another grant to do an engagement project from them as well. And that's really how this text messaging service came about. They had a partnership with Subtext and um, they were looking for some of the um, engagement fellows to to utilize their services and because I was looking to you know interview people from the unhoused community and um, connect with this community that isn't always easy to reach um, I thought that subtext might be an effective way to do that um, because I knew that a lot of unhoused residents they um, they actually do have cell phones or access to the internet and you know, a cell phone. So it seemed like a good strategy to connect with unhoused residents. So first of all, Lexus's SMS service is free and he would prefer to keep it that way, though he's not against inserting a subscription fee, which Subtext allows you to do, if it meant it could keep it running. But for now, that's not an option he needs to think about because it's grant funded. To give you an idea of what he sends out, he does these sanitation schedules at about 7 or 8am every day, which outlines the cleanings, also known as sweeps, in the city for the day. This can directly displace homeless people and result in having their belongings destroyed, so it's pretty vital information for these people to know when and where this is going to happen. This information is available via email, but again, it's just not as convenient as text for these people, so Lexus just relays it to them. He's also been sending out vaccine information on where people can get their jabs, and that has also been met with positive feedback, 
There's other applications too, in sending out links to useful and relevant stories and having two-way communication with subscribers. For other stories around hostile architecture, in the UK we more frequently call this anti-homeless architecture, like spikes on underpasses or benches you can't lie down on. He has in fact received photos from his subscribers on examples that he can use in his reporting. And all of this is done privately. No online sign-up just yet. Instead, he's just meeting people in the streets and asking them if they want to sign up. So when I was working on that story that I mentioned about the hygiene stations, part of the engagement project that I did involved printing out hundreds of flyers and then also connecting with advocates and different uh, homeless outreach groups. So I'd go out with these groups, and while they were doing outreach, I would hand out flyers and tell people what I was up to. Sometimes I would interview people on the spot there. And then, you know, usually at the end, ask if people were interested in receiving updates about this reporting or staying in touch with me, which we found generally most people were. Yeah. Do you think I could ask you to pull up a text and, like, give me the give me the gist of it? Yeah, sure. Um I mean, for the for the sanitation schedules, it's it's really simple. You know, I just um, I sent the, the schedules out this morning. Um, let's see, about three hours ago or so. And um, I first upload the the PDFs to a website um, because some people have issues with PDFs or JPEGs attachments and such. And it's it's really just simple. It's I, I say good morning. Here is the Care Plus confirmation sheet for today. And uh, Care Plus is uh, the sanitation program that they have here. Sometimes I'll get some some thank yous or some people just reaching out to to acknowledge that they they got the sheets. Does Subtext give you like engagement metrics on like who opens it, who clicks through, or who replies, who's seen it? Yeah, they do. Um, I honestly don't look at them um, that often. But one of the other advantages to Subtext is their platform. So. Um, rather than use your own cell phone number or even a Google voice, you have everything contained in this one platform that keeps things organized. And then, yes, you can look at analytics and, and reports. And that's another aspect of subtext and SMS platforms that I didn't touch on is the fact that it's easier to get, I think, more engagement. But, you know, you get into conversations with people in some cases that often happens when I'm reaching out to people while I'm actually doing reporting. Is it is it a lot of work? Is it quite time intensive or does it just slot into stuff you'd normally be doing? It kind of is because I have to stay on top of it. It is something that I could probably have a team of people working on this with me. But right now it's just me. I think it works out because I get up early and I'm in front of my computer a lot. So, you know, I'll get the, the email with the sanitation schedules and then sometimes within like a minute or two, you know, text it out to folks. Do you think this is kind of here to stay for you? Or do you think this you'll you'll move on to something in the future? What do you think? I would like to keep it going. I mean, my, my grant is only going to last for so long, but I am starting to explore other options, ways that I can keep this service going, either through subtext or possibly another platform, or even a platform that I might be able to build on my own. But I think it's extremely valuable and something that I'd like to see continue. Yeah. What well, What would you need to see to give you the confidence to keep to keep doing this? The biggest issue I would say is just funding. Um, if we were, if if LA Taco was funding this themselves, 
Um, I'm not sure, you know, we're a small operation, so I'm not sure that um, they would be able to, but I'm thinking about looking into grants and other resources to make it possible. What about the, what about the other question? What hasn't worked with this? Just the sign up process can be tricky for some people. So when we first started, it's like you could go to this website, you know, a link and input your information. But I think having that extra step of going to a link, putting your information, getting confirmation, it was just a few too many steps for some folks. So I think we learned that the easiest way to get people signed up was just to get their information and then manually input it. Um, now we're actually trying to um, test out a keyword. So somebody texts just a keyword like LA Taco to a number and then they can sign up. But that was one of the, the challenges early on that we had to figure out. For another reporter maybe looking at doing something similar, what would you say is kind of the need to know stuff? What, what, would you, what do you need to know heading into a strategy like this, you think, based on your experience? I would say if you can, definitely talk to the folks at Subtext just so you understand the limitations of the platform, I guess, and really what its intended purpose is for. And then also have conversations with the community that you want to reach. We did... Uh, multiple listening sessions with advocates and, and people that work with unhoused residents on a daily basis. And they had a lot of feedback as to, you know, the best approach to to reach people. Cool. Some really good tips in there. What's kind of been the main, I guess, lesson or revelation for you doing this? One thing you didn't know before coming in versus now. Give us the benefit of your hindsight. It's not always about reaching the masses. You know, sometimes it's about reaching a, a specific group that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, isn't always seen in the media. And, you know, I, I learned that when a lot of reporters report on the unhoused community, they're writing for the housed community as opposed to the unhoused community. Think of what you're doing as a resource and, you know, you might only be reaching 80 to 100 people, but if those people don't have access to the news or to what you're, the information that you're giving them, uh, you know, it could be really valuable for you to make that connection. That's a, that's really quite a powerful thing you said. I just want to sort of recognize that, you know, if you're reaching 40 people, that might not seem a lot, but these are people who might not otherwise engage with the news at all. You're actually, that's quite a significant difference. You know, 40 is very different from zero, right? Basically. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, going out and, and talking to folks, they were, you know, they were really excited to to have somebody listen to them and to talk to them. And, um, you know, they also had a lot of questions. And I think a big part of the service is, is answering those questions and, and connecting people with the information that they need. So what would you consider to be the main skill you need to do your day to day job? I have to be able to I have to be a good listener, I would say. I have to be a good listener. So many times my interviews are not about asking people questions. It's just about listening. Yeah, that's that's really, you know, integral to my job. I love that response. Do you think that's listening is something innate or do you work at it? I think it's both. I think, I mean, just my own personality. I'm kind of a shy person to begin with. So, which is interesting because I'm a, somebody that asks questions for a living. But like <laughs> I said, I think in a lot of ways, being a journalist is actually more about listening. Um, but I have had to kind of teach myself to, to get better at listening. One tip to maybe become a better listener. What, what do you think that would be? Uh, don't ask so many questions, I guess. <laughs> that one's for me then, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, be a better listener. I don't know. It's tough, man. It's like, I think with this project that I did, going out um, 
with people doing outreach and just kind of tagging along with people really helped. Um, like the focus wasn't really about me. It was about these people connecting people with services. And then I would kind of, you know, chime in or they would introduce me eventually. But um, yeah, just learn how to observe and, and, and stand in the back, I guess. Yeah. Humility then basically. Yeah. <laughs> Alexis, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights with us. It's been a, it's been a blast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Really good to speak to Jess and Lexis there and two very different ways to leverage text messages, either for the individual journalist or the local newsroom. It's worth pointing out that there are other services like subtext in different regions and equally you could deploy a strategy like this on something like WhatsApp or Telegram. A few takeaways. One, identify a beat that really matters to your community and think, does this medium actually make sense for that beat? Two, in both cases, think about native value first and have added value on your website as an afterthought. Otherwise, why would people remain subscribed? That's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, check back in next week for our final episode in this series on using solutions journalism in local news. Bye for now.